Hi, and welcome to House Call, our podcast designed to help you navigate the New York City real estate market. I'm Andrew Fishkind, as always, here with my co-hosts and partners, Carl Eckroth and Emily Margolin. Hello. Hey, everyone. We're here today with Mark Birak, a principal at DTLS Architecture, a firm that specializes in architecture, design, construction, renovation. I'm sure I've not gotten that correctly, but hey, Mark, why don't you tell us about you and the firm? Well, thanks for having me. Um, We are an architecture firm, and we really think of ourselves as collaborators with our clients and with our contractors. And it's based on this idea that by putting everybody at the table, the best ideas rise to the surface. And we found that our clients really enjoy having stakes in the game when it comes to the design and also the execution. Definitely. I wanted to start by asking you to just talk about the process of renovating an apartment, whether it's purchasing an apartment that needs to be renovated or somebody who just lives in their space and wants to renovate. Well, um, renovating a space is like eating an elephant. You really have to do (laughs) it one bite at a time. And if you start taking it down to bite-sized chunks, you see that it's really possible to tackle it. And also you can celebrate each minor victory once you've done it. So we usually set out a series of goals from the very beginning. And what we do is we'll walk through a space, we'll determine what's possible and what's not based on the budget and the timeline that our clients are interested in. There's a few key questions that clients are always coming to us. How much is it going to cost and how long will it take? And there's certain key decisions you can make at the beginning of the process that will make your process so much easier. The number one factor is whether or not you have to file with the Department of Building. And there's three things you need to think about when you want to renovate a space. Are you going to be adding, moving, or removing any plumbing fixtures? In other words, are you moving your kitchen to the other side of the apartment? Yes, then you're going to have to file. Are you going to be moving, adding, or removing more than 45 vertical square feet of wall? Are you going to knock down a wall between two bedrooms to make an awesome suite? Great, you're probably going to have to file it. Even if it doesn't hit these constraints, if you're in a co-op or a condo, the building may still say, file it anyway. And there's nothing wrong with that. Filing a project legalizes it and it protects you. It makes your contractor be honest and you'll know you're going to have a certain level of quality of subcontractor. And that makes a huge difference for the life of the project. Just to make the math simple for me, if I have a 10-foot ceiling, I can remove under four and a half feet of wall without having to... Correct. So the DOB allows that as like um, a loophole if you're moving a door. Got it. Um, And I think that you've seen a lot of projects where people put a dividing wall in a living room to add an extra bedroom. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that is not a legal bedroom, nor is that a legal wall, no matter what you see in advertisement. And if you're buying something like that, and it's illegal, you are inheriting that illegal project and now you own it. So you have to make sure when you're buying a property that you do all of your due diligence on whether the renovation was filed previously and whether what's there is legal. And in some situations, we've had clients who have illegal dens, you can't legalize it. So Mark, any buyer out there, a wall's coming down, should they make the assumption that they probably have to file permits? Absolutely. So the next question is, how much is gonna cost? Exactly. (laughs) So you're gonna have to hire an architect who's licensed, who will be able to file the documents in the city. They should hire you. Of course. (laughs) Well, we do make it simple. So you have to assume that your architect's fees just for stamping a set are going to be around 6,000. You will need an asbestos inspection if it's an older building. You will need an expediter unless the architect can do their own filing. 
and you'll need your DOB fees. So we just tell people, if you're going to file a project, assume it's ten dollars to $12,000 right off the top for those soft costs. But if you're going to take the time to renovate and you're going to take the time to file, you might as well do more with the apartment to take advantage of that filing. If you're filing, you pay the same amount whether you're doing eight square feet of wall versus a thousand square feet of wall <laughs> um, in terms of your outside fees. It's true that your actual DOB fees may be slightly higher based on scope, but you might as well take advantage of the asbestos inspection. If you're renovating a kitchen and you just want to move your oven over six inches, do you have to file? Well, that's a gray zone. The reason is that the city is very specific about gas. And if it's an electric range and you're moving it over, no big deal. If it's a gas range, it depends on how old the actual connections are. The city really doesn't want you to change things on a valve without filing it. But if you're moving it over six inches and you can keep the existing valve and maybe you use a hose, fine. Okay. But I do want to say that it's a case-by-case basis. Got it. And when in doubt, file it, especially with gas. I've had more than one person over different times, myself included, look at an apartment and say, well, I'd love to do these 10 things, but I'm closing and my closing gives me three month lead time. So could I come to you with my wish list and say, I've got three months and $150,000. What of this list can I get done? Absolutely. You start with an outline. You can just set it up as a Word document. And typically clients engage us about six weeks before they close. And the reason is that if you are in a co-op or a condo, you can't submit your alteration agreement until you close, but it takes us about six weeks to do our site survey, build the floor plan, make sure all the electrical and plumbing are coordinated, and then some clients will close and the next day we submit. Sometimes it takes an extra week or something because you can really only get into an apartment a few times before you close. For us, we really want to make sure that it's drawn correctly the first time. When you say you're submitting, that's both to DOB and to the building? No, um, that's a really good question because we are living in the city. Most people live in buildings. You actually have to file through the building first. And then once you get the building's approval, then you can go to the DOB. Oh, you don't go to DOB until you have the building sign off. The critical path is we work with the client. We get the design the way they want and the architecture side of things. So that means your power, your data, your plumbing, your layout. That is important. Then we go to the building. Typically in a building, you need to get three parties to approve it. The management company, the board, and the building architect. Now, when we say that, that is a lot of variables. Some boards will only give you an approval on their set meeting schedule, which means you can wait a month if you miss it. Other buildings can get it turned around in two weeks. When we talk to our clients about how long your pre-construction period lasts, the biggest variable is the building. And Mark's absolutely right. We've had uh, a bunch of closings where work was required, but you know we used the five, six, seven weeks pre-closing, getting access, taking measurements with the architect. And then literally the closing happens and they have their, their alteration packet ready to go. They go across the hall uh, at the property manager's office and drop that off. So something we always try to do to keep that timetable moving quickly for all of our clients as well. And be proactive. So there's some key things that we want people to do if they're in a co-op or a condo. Immediately ask for the decorator or alteration agreement. That'll help you understand which path you want to take. See if you can meet with the super while you're in the pre-closing phase because they know everything about the building. They'll tell you if a pipe is in that wall or not. Review Street Easy, see if anybody's done similar renovations to what you want to do. And last, see what kind of mechanical upgrades are allowed in that building. Everybody knows that air conditioning is the holy grail in this city. So you need to know that you can get away with certain things, you can't get away with others. 
and also uh, like split systems and things like that. Will the building allow the compressor on the facade? Usually, usually it's never on the front of the building, whereas it's allowable sometimes in the back of the building where it's not visible. Even in a historic district or a landmarked building, we have been able to get compressors installed as through the wall compressors. And usually there's technical merit for it, but we have to work hand in hand with the landmarks department to make sure it's not going to ruin the composition of the building. There's usually a path forward if your client is patient enough. Some people, they want to renovate, they want to move in. That means that the clock starts the second they close and they're anxious. What we tell people is to do a soft move-in. So long as the apartment has running water, move into the apartment. Think of it as like you're packing to go on a two or three month vacation. So you move in and you know, sometimes our clients will move in. They're not gonna bring all their books and DVDs, but they're gonna bring their sofa and a bed and the clothes to get through the season. And they'll realize when they're living in the apartment, maybe the renovation's different than they'd originally expected. Right. But the most important thing is that the clock hasn't started yet. And so when they're living in the apartment, they're not paying rent and a mortgage at the same time. They can be more leisurely when it comes time to making interior decisions. If they're working with someone like you who actually understands the timeline within reason, mm -hmm. that's hugely helpful because I think a lot of people just don't wanna be surprised. They just wanna know how much time it's really gonna take. Such a, such a good point, Mark. It really is because we have, same thing, we have so many buyers who, Maybe we're not talking about a gut, right? Maybe we're talking about more cosmetic or heavy-duty cosmetic upgrade. Right. And they're always so eager. Let's get the work started. And then the anxiety starts creeping in. So this suggestion of, hey, move in. Do a soft move in for two, three months. See when the light is best, which might affect the color of paint you use. Or see if the appliances that are 10, 12 years old really need to be replaced today because you might find they don't. And you can do that in time and not have that pressure. And think about the anxiety factor that if you're shopping with us, Maybe you want to get some tile that has a six-month lead time. And you're like, oh, man, no, I need to get into this apartment because the clock is running. Let's go with this lesser tile, which I don't even love. And now you're going to be married to this tile for the duration of your time in the apartment. I First starters want to say, when it comes to getting materials, things are much better now than they were a year and a half ago. You don't have to wait a year for a refrigerator. You don't have tile coming from Europe in a shipping container. When you are actually planning your materials, you can start to think about what the delivery time is and then build your construction schedule off of that. So say you do have a luxurious slab of stone that's coming, good. If it's gonna take three more months, then you wait to start construction for three months, but you're still living in the apartment and you're still enjoying the space. There are certain key factors that you can do when you start to think about your interior package. Even if you are not closed on the apartment, start a Pinterest page, start a house page. It doesn't matter if it's a bunch of random photos. We're your architect, we're your collaborator, we're an ally. We will sit with you, sift through it, get a concept that's gonna work for you, your budget and the space. You can craft a narrative that's completely unique to you and your preferences because you have a blank canvas when you renovate a space. And I think a lot of people take it for granted that if you're moving into a space that's done, it's easy. But if you have the patience you can actually make something that is one of a kind. And every single project, every single bathroom we do is completely a one of a kind experience. I love that so much. I think that's exciting because it's just like bringing the joy and the creativity back into the renovation. Because when you start to think about it, you think about timeline and you think about anxiety and you think about money. But really a, a huge part of it is getting to design this custom space for yourself. 
I feel like mostly we talk about, I'm closing, I have three months till my lease is up, that's my timeline to get the construction done, when the reality is perhaps I can get out of my lease, to your point, move in right away, and then save that three months of money for when I want to move out and get a temporary space while we do the construction six months later. Absolutely. And you have a lot more flexibility if you know you have a month wiggle time for getting short-term rentals. If there is anyone in this city listening, figure out a way to do a two-month rental because you have so much possibility for people who are looking for short-term items. They have to kind of start their construction schedule around what they can do for rentals. A lot of our clients with children, they really want to focus on the renovation during the summer. So we'll purchase everything during the spring. Then they'll go on some sort of a vacation and then they come back to a finished apartment. Hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) Doing a project is a three-legged stool. Quality, money, time. And you can't have all three exactly the way you want. But if you can take back time, then you can control the other. So if I'm rushing you to pick a tile because you need it tomorrow, you're going to make the wrong decision. It's going to be expensive or it's not what you want. But imagine if you can say, I can build all of these things into my, my schedule. I can build all these factors in. Then you can execute it much better. And there's contractors who'd be happy to say, oh, great, I can start in six months when I know how my staffing is going to be, rather than me trying to pull a bunch of guys together tomorrow to get this started. There's another important thing I wanted to talk to everybody about because we were talking about apartments at the beginning. But really, the brownstone market has become much more substantial because of the pandemic. If people didn't flee the city with families, they want more space. The big question when people are looking at a brownstone is whether it's going to be an alt two renovation, meaning that it's a simpler filing, or an alt one, which is also known as an alt CO. An alt CO means you are going to get a new certificate of occupancy for the space. An example of this is there's a lot of duplex on duplex or apartment over a duplex. And if you want to make that a single family home, that would trigger an alt CO, meaning that you have to get a new certificate of occupancy. If you're building an addition, that would be an alt CO. Are you combining spaces? Are you moving a staircase? Are you changing the use of a space? Are you combining multiple units? Or are you legalizing an existing floor plan that may not be compliant? If you're looking at a spot and you know it's going to be a single family home, but it's currently four different units, you have to tell your client, add six months to the filing process. I thought that there was no requirement to file for underutilization. So if it was a triplex and you're going to use it as a duplex or a single family home, I thought there was no, you didn't have to do it that way. It was just to go the other way. I thought it had to be. That's a fantastic question. And it's a case by case basis. Let's say you're in a big building that has 150 units and you're just combining two apartments. The DOB has carved out a way to expedite it as part of an alt two. Whereas if you have a four unit home that you're making a single family, that is a substantial change. You just have to think about very early on what your goals are for the project. And I'd also recommend you engage an architect while you're actually searching for the space. We have a number of clients who've done a few brownstones and they'll just send us the actual files. And what we can do is we can see if there's any violations on the property. We can let them know if it's a legal layout, if whatever work was done before was filed, because luckily all of this information is available and you can really avoid some disasters in the future. Another key factor when you're thinking about a building, I wholeheartedly recommend you find a vacant space. It's much more respectful for any current tenant and it will save you time once you've bought the project. 
you have to make explicitly clear in your contract that it will be delivered vacant and also that there's no harassment of the existing tenants. That way, the whole process goes smoother and there won't be any issues. We agree. Um, costs. If you're going to file an Alt-2, assume it's going to be around $6,000 with fees. If you're filing an Alt-CO, it's going to be anywhere from 12 to 20. So you're going to have a lot more soft costs when you go into it. But if you're thinking about a brownstone, the amount of square feet is higher. If you think about it as a percentage of construction, it still levels itself out more. And then the last thing is when you're approaching a project, is it better to try to gut or is it better to try to salvage? And it's really a percentage. At a certain point, a project may hit a tipping point where it's actually easier to gut than to try to save a few little parts. And we've had a lot of clients who say, oh, I really love the molding around the windows. And we agree, it's beautiful, but you renovated the entire rest of the space. And now all of a sudden you have molding around the windows that's been painted 10,000 times. Now that we've finished, can we rip out that molding? If you're strategic about it, there's a lot of things that you can do to recycle materials. You can donate appliances. You can donate your kitchen cabinets. So it's not like you're just discarding these things, but you need to strategize from the beginning. When you're working with a good architect, they break everything up into phases. So you'll know which parts of the architecture are going to be retained, which parts can be donated. And then when you shift gears to the interiors portion, you have a checklist. Are you going to save this sink? Are you going to get a new sink? Are you going to get a new fixture? And because of that, all of a sudden, the thousands of questions that you have to ask and get answered during a construction process is just a steady stream of discussion. We use copious amounts of spreadsheets. We ask our clients to approve everything a dozen times just so that there's no surprises once you're under construction and a fixture comes out as brass. And you're like, oh man, I really thought it was going to be rose gold. You don't want to be stuck with a rose gold fixture when you really wanted brass. I had contractors put in um, hardwood floors in the wrong direction. That's and an I important came thing. And I was like, no. <laughs> when we're now getting into the third phase, which is construction, when we are working with clients and we're under construction, our time doesn't just end because we have a set of documents. We set up 10 key meetings in which we need to have the contractor, the subs, the client, and us on site just so that we can't move on to the next benchmark without having everyone's approval. One is right after demolition is complete because you may find that there's a riser in the way. So all hands on deck, collaborate, figure out how to solve it, update the set. And now you were talking about the orientation of finishes. You may look in the plans and say, oh, I really want the tile to go horizontal. But once we're all standing on site, you're like, oh, actually vertical stacked. That way we're all there together. Everyone signs off on it and then you move forward. Yeah. So while it seems like a lot of bureaucracy, it's to protect the client from being disappointed in the future. It's our job as your architect to make sure that you know what you're going to get and whether that's representation through a rendering, through an interior elevation, or just through a project schedule, you know what you're going to get. That's how we feel as brokers too. If you prepare your clients, even if it's bad news, like this is gonna take an extra two weeks, we're preparing you, you're, you're understanding what's happening. You're able to make your choices instead of being surprised. It's really important for all of us to manage expectations. And I take that responsibility very personally. And if I feel like our client is getting taken advantage of, if you as the broker or me as the architect are not fighting for our clients, what are we doing? No one's right, going absolutely. to. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of projects where we've inherited it from other teams where someone's been steamrolled for years and just no one's ever stood up for them and they don't even know they have rights. 
just by going through this discussion and working with an architect, you should have at least a framework of how much it's going to cost, how long it's going to take, what decisions you have to make. And if you're independently organized or if you want us to organize it for you, you should have a plan. And if you make a good plan, you will probably not fail. But if you fail the plan, you know you're going to fail. Can you speak a little bit to clients who... I'm sure you have recommendations as to what contractors to use, or you you might even have your own contractors that you use, um, clients who have their own connection with their uncle's contractor, or... So there's a few things. No matter what, you get three bids. And when you work with um, an architect who's also managing the project, we create a bid leveling sheet. And what you may find is your honest uncle, he's charging twice as much for the electrician as the other. So you'll be like, honest uncle, why is this more expensive? So then it comes to finding, if you don't have an honest uncle who's a contractor, I recommend you look and see who has familiarity with the building. The building super and the building managers have a protocol that they like to deal with, and they are a part of the team. So if there's somebody who already is familiar with the building's procedures, they have a leap ahead. And then we have a stable of contractors that we like to work with. When we are working on a project, we have two approaches. We can do the design and then bid it. Or we can do design build, where one of the bids is already built into our price. If it's a small project, you may want to know right from the start, how much is it going to cost and how long is it going to take? That's great. Say you want to renovate a bathroom, we can give you one flat fee for design and construction services. But you can still take that design, go bid it out with someone else and see how it shakes out. The difference between doing a design and then bid or a design build is that the contractor tends to come in earlier during a design build process, whereas a traditional design and then bid process, almost every decision's been made before you go out to bid. You do have a little bit more control when you're going out to bid because you can say, okay, well, I can leverage these three bids against each other. With design build, you're kind of tied into that original contractor, even though you can get supporting bids because they've been integral into the process of making these decisions happen. What's a great example? Let's say you're adding air conditioning, which again, holy grail. You may end up working with the design bids consultant to get that air conditioning designed. And if you go with another contractor, you can get another price, but you may have to go back to the drawing board on the design because the subcontractor's already been folded in. That said, we end up having a sliding scale and more and more projects and more and more clients are asking us for the bid right from the start because they want to know how their finances need to shake out and they want to lock these prices early in the process. And they're willing to make that leap of faith that they're connecting with an architect and a contractor early, knowing that they won't have quite as much leverage in the bid process, but it reduces variables. And that's something else that I wanted to talk about, which is how do you as an owner, reduce variables. One thing, you have to control the system, meaning that you have to be methodical about getting through the architecture phase and approving each benchmark and then making your design decisions in a systematic manner. A lot of times people think, oh, well, I can just choose what my finishes are when we're under construction. You have lost control of the variables because this tile that you love that was in stock during the design phase may be sold out and now you're panicking, You have to rush around. and make a different decision. So if you do things in a systematic order where you have a victory, check it off the list, move on to the next, you have taken control over your variables. And the other thing is 
working with your building. If you have a good relationship with the super, they know so much about the way the building functions. They may tell you you can't move that radiator because the other apartment did and now it bangs. That is an important thing for you to know because once you're in the unit, you'll be happier. So communication is key and being hyper-organized. In my office, we use a series of apps which our clients have access to, which not only control the schedule, but they also control what material selections you're doing, what files you're coordinating, every update goes through it, and the contractor has access as well. So that whenever there's an update, it's immediately live, everybody can kind of interact with it. And it's also convenient because let's say you are out shopping and you know you've chosen your tile, but you haven't chosen your plumbing fixture. You can pull up the app on your phone and be like, oh, we have a Carrera marble backsplash. What would complement it? Well, matte black, perfect. And because of that, you can plug it in, we finalize it, you approve it, it's ordered, and you can move on to the next decision. Decision fatigue is a real thing. And if you try to answer every question at once, your eyes will glaze over, you'll want to go to bed, and you won't make up that decision. I I renovated an apartment about 20, 25 years ago at this point. I remember the designer that I was working at the time basically said, what molding do you want? What finish? And I I said, I have no idea. And I asked her to really spend some time with me looking at things and then narrowing my choices down to three or four. It's a collaboration. And so when we're thinking about the design, which means we've got the layout under control, we start big. We start with mood boards. We start with your Pinterest page. Yep. And it's actually easier when you have a concept. You can look at a fixture and you can say, this fits my concept, this doesn't. Or you can be really aggressive and say, I'm going to allow myself four deviations from my concept. And now all of a sudden you've created something that can't be labeled as just modernist. It can't be labeled as industrial. You've created something that's completely a unique vocabulary. And these are exciting and ambitious projects. But then you need to make sure that your architect or your designer is curating it so that it doesn't clash. You really want to make sure that it's a cohesive language. The one thing that people always have is a certain possession that just means so much. It's their grandmother's armoire. You're allowed to have one or two of those deviations, but if you're just pulling in a hundred old things, you're never going to have a cohesive style. I do want to say to anyone who's considering doing a renovation, it is a leap of faith. You have to have courage, you have to have conviction, you have to have discipline, and you have to have strength. But you can create something that is your own. And when you have people over, you can be so proud of the fact that you helped execute this design that is a complete reflection of your style and taste. And you can be proud to show it off. And some people may only get to do this once or twice in their entire lives, but a lot of people do it once or twice, and then they just do it again for the they rest get of the their bug. lives. They get the bug. Yeah. Exactly. We have a project finishing on the Upper West Side. It's taken a year for the construction. The owner is moving in, and she's like, I can't wait to do this again. I know. It's so fun. When you list those filing fees, 6000 ish or so on an apartment, or up to 20000 depending on the type for a building. Standing alone, it sounds like a lot of money, but in, in the cost of a construction budget, if you're going to do work that would not be considered illegal, the additional cost really minimal. You're absolutely right. And as your architect and your advocate, I do recommend when in doubt you file. It protects you as the owner, and also it makes sure the quality of work is going to be at a really high level. 
the Department of Building is rigorous about testing people's credentials. That means you're going to have a licensed plumber, a licensed electrician doing the work. And if you decide you want to circumvent that and go without filing, you're in the wild, wild west, and there's only so much your architect can do to troubleshoot poor subcontractors. When you start thinking about the cost of a project, you will have soft costs. In some cases, some architects can charge 15 20%. Other times, you can do a lot of the work yourself. You can get that number down to 10%. For us, we try to do a holistic package as a flat rate. There's three ways that architects can set up their fee. One is percentage of construction. If you spend $300,000, you are going to put a percentage of that towards your architect. Another is hourly, where you just start billing by the hour. What we do is we do an estimate based on the scope of work, how many bathrooms you're doing, are you adding air conditioning, are we chopping through a floor. We give you an estimate that's based on a flat rate. We do have constraints. For example, if you go on 12 shopping trips with us, that doesn't quite fit our formula. But if the project is organized, we go on two or three shopping trips, we do two or three revisions to the elevations, the set is nice and clean, and everybody gets to move forward in an efficient manner. I am a big advocate for a flat fee model. It helps you as a client make your budget, and it also helps you understand your variables. I'm ready to renovate something. Here we go. Now we just need to control the financing part, and we can take over this town. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. This was really great. And if anybody would like to reach out to Mark, please feel free to contact us, and we will happily get you in touch. Thanks so much, Mark. Our uh, website is dtlsarc.com. It's an abbreviation, dtlsarchitecture.com. And if you go to our website, you'll see the range of work we do. We are committed to collaboration, so our style is as unique as all of our clients. Also, we have a cost estimator, so you can plug in some answers, and it'll spit out a number and a timeline for you right away. A lot of brokers use it as they're walking around apartments. If a client just needs to renovate a bathroom and that's it, you answer all the questions, it'll give you a number. And if you want to do a gut renovation of a brownstone or a building, it'll do that too. Wow. Awesome. It's awesome. Take a look, everyone. Yeah. Absolutely. Great. Thanks again. Thank you, guys.